Welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Show. I feel like I asked this last week. Did I ask this last week? Is this a Christmas episode again? <laughs> Nothing's really a Christmas episode. It's sort of half Christmas episodes. But yeah. the fact that they're going out it's in sort, December it's sort of like, think they're the Christmas oh, like, uh, like, you know, they, they'd always try in movies like a, the Die Hard of Christmas, where it's like tangentially, Definitely a Christmas tangentially related to Christmas, but, you know, not really. But you can still call it a Christmas one. So, yes, this is that in that style. Uh, it's kind of about something else, but Christmas Christmas is involved, so. I watched Die Hard the other day. My wife had never see it, so, seen really? it, so I subjected her well, to Die Hard. I don't know if um, I should just be amazed that you've seen Die Hard at all. <laughs> dude, it's Die Hard. Well, this it's is, Princess uh, Bride. It's Star Wars. It's Die Hard, dude. It's, it's, it's much better than Star Wars. Uh, Die Hard is... It's good. Did you know? Did you know Frank Sinatra was originally given or offered I the role... I did know this. Offered the role as, as, as the lead character in Die Hard. Yeah. That's a, and he, he would have been like 70. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, yeah, exactly. It was 73 or something when he was offered. And he was... It was just... Uh, if people are wondering, it was he was contractually obligated because it turns out Die Hard in its initial incarnation is actually a sequel to a movie that was uh, made long, uh, a couple decades before... And Frank Sinatra uh, starred in it. And so it was a sequel. I think it was called The Detective or something like that. Um, I think you're right. And then, yeah, they, so they had to, it was it just in the contract. If they made a sequel, they had to offer it to him. He, of course, was like, no, I'm 73. <laughs> a I'm, I'm good. And so then they, they did tweak the script a bit after that. But sort of the core of the story is that uh, it was uh, based on the book or something. There was a book way back in the day, um, The Detective and then the sequel of it, which, uh, which got to be Die Hard. I, I would kind of have liked to have seen it. Like, I could go for a diehard with 73-year-old Frank Sinatra <laughs> well, and kind of, like, writing names on his hands the funny and, like, part is, me through vents. Where isn't, like, Bruce Willis almost 70? So, and they're still kind of making diehards. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they came out with another one. I, I also feel it's a bit different these days because, like, yeah. Bruce Willis, he still looks like, yeah, he's 63. Yeah. But he doesn't really look that much different. Or, better example, um, Tom Cruise... I just saw the new Mission Impossible movie a few weeks ago, yeah. well, a couple of months ago now. Dude, he looks almost exactly the same as he did in like Mission Impossible 1 from like 1993 yeah. or whatever. They have better plastic surgery and better like cocktails of stuff to give them to grow big muscles and stuff quickly. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so I do like how like Sylvester Stallone is completely like open and unapologetic about this, you know, like the like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've taken lots of things. I mean, I'm like, whatever, I'm 67 years old. And how else are you going to get all that muscle? I really have no problem with this. If you're old and want to look young, yeah. go for it. Yeah. Why not? I mean, who are you hurt? Who are you hurting? Well, yeah, and especially some of the stuff they have now. It's not uh, not like the old days where you're going to like keel over of a heart attack or whatever when you have like. Nice, expensive doctors oh. monitoring your health and everything, but I think it's bigger problems to worry yeah. about. But, yeah, uh, and this is this is a couple of weeks out of date, but I do have another movie update for you. And I know we don't do the updates in the beginning, but I do feel it's very important to mention. Uh -huh. I did see uh, after your recommendation, National Treasure Two: <laughs> Book of That's Secrets. That's the one you go with. That's the one That's I recommend you watch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yet seen Princess Bride, but I did watch Nicolas Cage. <laughs> In National Treasure Book of Secrets, because uh, what was the name of that mountain? Uh, Mount yeah. Vernon. Well, not uh, Mount, Ma Vernon. Mount Vernon. Not so much a mountain as a as the a place. But, Sorry, yeah. yeah, the the president's hangout yeah. or whatever. They would, or he goes there and they they go into some tunnels. Very very enjoyable. <laughs> very much enjoyed this movie. It is a fun movie. It's you know so fun. Yeah, so a fun, fun ride that makes no sense, but you know it's just fun to watch. Tell me about 
some quick facts. What are we talking about today? today? Sticking with the sort of Christmas theme. So everyone, if you say uh, our poinsettia leaves poisonous, pretty much everyone says yes. And uh, I thought they were called poisonous poinsettias for a yeah, while. <laughs> this is this is just a thing. Everyone thinks, oh, better not let your kids eat those poinsettias or or pets like cats like to eat the leaves or they're going to keel over dead. Uh, <laughs> this is just a thing that everyone believes. And it turns out, no, there has never been a single death of of of, of a person by ingesting poinsettia leaves. It's just not a thing. Um, so and to sort of back this up, the Madison Poison Control Center noted that they figured probably a 50 pound kid by their own research. So that's about 22 kilograms would need to eat around 500 to 600 poinsettia leaves to suffer any ill effects whatsoever. And the only ill effects would be cramps and upset stomach, maybe vomiting, diarrhea, and no medical attention required. I feel like if you eat 500 or 600 lettuce leaves, you yeah. have like cramps, upset stomach, and vomiting and diarrhea. Yeah, most likely, you would think. And also, it's it's noteworthy here that poinsettia leaves, um, probably haven't tried them. I've never tried them. But apparently, people who do try them say they're really, really gross, like super bitter and disgusting tasting. Um, so not not that likely any sense. kid's going to eat five to six hundred, uh, let alone one. And so also... Also, more importantly, where are they going to get five yeah. to six hundred? Like how many does... Maybe 50 on a, on a, on a poinsettia max? Yeah. And so also, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University was looking at... They looked at over 23,000 cases of people reporting kids to poison control center that had eaten poinsettia leaves and you know people call to be like what do i do I, my kids just eaten a poison poinsettia leaf uh and it turns out not a single one of these reports it showed any evidence of any toxicity from the poinsettia plant so you can eat it just fine it's not really a problem so where did the where did this belief come from maybe just the sort of alliteration like you said the poisonous poinsettias but no mm-hmm. there is a it started it seems to have started around 1919 there was a, a case of this two-year-old kid who died right after supposedly eating some, some poinsettia leaves. And so then this this was around the time... <sighs> really? This is like dumb. Yeah, this was... Like one kid rumor. You can see this was around the time poinsettias started to become really popular in the US. And so it was like a this cool plant that was, you know, used in the holidays. And then one kid does it. And then, you know, it's a little bit like the Halloween trick-or-treating thing where, you know, there's always everyone's like, oh, we got to look for those poison candy or the razor blades in the thing, even though that's not really actually a thing. So, yeah, it's just kind of a thing got spread around in the media and then sort of endured since then. Um, and if people are wondering also with your pets, as uh, the American Veter- Veterinary Medicine Association notes that poinsettias is not dangerous to your cats or dogs or anything like that, or really any animals can eat them if they want. So that's fine as well. Oh, good. I'm going to start feeding them if, if I had a cat. Yeah. I would exclusively feed them poinsettias <laughs> to make a point. Yeah, I do have a big poinsettia tree. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I know it's poinsettias. Sorry, I know I keep mispronouncing that. I always um, say poinsettias too. No. Yeah, it's it's too easy. Yeah. Um, I, I I got given one for Christmas like five years uh-huh. ago, and I, I don't know. I can't really. Th- I feel so bad throwing away like a plant. You've kept like that line. thing alive that long. Oh well, I it, it, they're kind of designed to die pretty quick. Yeah. Um, because they kind of have these tiny pots and they don't have proper root structure and yeah. stuff. But yeah, no, I just, I, I took it out of the pot. I put it in a nice new pot with some proper like compost and gave it some plant food. And now I have a poinsettia tree. I did so, not even know that was possible. It's really nice, actually. Yeah. It's a good looking those are, plant. Those, they are. Yeah. It's got like a nice trunk and a everything. Nice looking plant. Huh, that's cool. Yeah. It feels weird throwing live things away. Yeah. I just don't like it. So I have no, like... Totally. 
I got like basils that I bought and then I'm like, you know, from the store and you're supposed to kind of use it up and the soil's just there to keep it fresh. I keep those things alive. Those things grow. And then I have free basil. I could just buy basil. It's, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so at this point, people might be wondering, how did the poinsettia plant get associated with Christmas? Turns out this mm-hmm. was sometime around the 16th or 17th century in Mexico. Uh, so it was just sort of the, the, the star-shaped leaf pattern of this sort of um, weed plant. Basically, it was sort of uh, symbolized the star of Bethlehem. It just started to be used in the red color, of course, the blood of Jesus or whatever. And it was just a thing the friars in Mexico would uh, would would use in around Christmas time celebration. And this eventually mm-hmm. got sort of started to spread to the U.S. And uh, the, the the key one here was this guy called Paul Eck Jr. And so he started just mm-hmm. like you know he started a business to to sort of make these you know sell these plants and so he of course started pushing it really hard so he'd send poinsettia plants all around to tv stations and stuff hoping they would use it in their thanksgiving and christmas shows and some of them did and so this kind of just started the seed of helping to popularize it and it turns out that if you buy a poinsettia plant anywhere in the world there's a one in is a basically a 50 percent chance that it came from the Eck family um their business that's still around today and uh in the world in so my my poinsettia tree could be from this guy, this American company. Yeah. That's and cool. uh, I mean, cool. Slash it wasn't actually the 1990s, actually, up until the 1990s. It was actually almost pretty much 100 percent chance that you were getting it from the Eck huh. family because the, basically this this Paul Eck Jr. discovered a way to graft these um, these plants with with together and stuff that would actually make a really full looking plant instead of if you just see it in their natural you know, without doing this process, they're really kind of look like a weed. Like it's not a super attractive plant or as much like we, like we think of it with these like full leaves, red leaves and everything. Yeah, it's just it's, like a kind of a, yeah. you know, like a more of like a dandelion style or whatever. It's just not full looking and stuff. So the, the Eck family had this way of doing it that. So of course their poinsettia plants were always the, the popular ones to buy. Um, and it wasn't until 1990s they, the, there was actually a university researcher that discovered how to do this as well and published the method and then lots of companies popped up. And so now it's still, if you live in the U.S., about 70% chance that you're buying it from the Eck family, uh, wherever you, whatever store you're buying it from. And uh, if worldwide, it's about 50% still. So they still are the dominant. Um, and if you actually go to their little ranch, their, their Tom David, who works there as a marketing manager, he often eats the poinsettia plant leaves in front of people just for like a little show to, you know, really, it's not poisonous, just kind of a little marketing thing. So, yeah, I like this. It's amazing. Like that someone can hold on to something for so long like that. Yeah. The, the, the company. Yeah. Their little secret of how they made it and stuff. It was kind of interesting. It's like Coca-Cola. Yeah. Although, you know, plenty of plenty of pretenders, although I guess with poinsettias, you're like, yeah, you know, they all kind of look the same now. Whereas Coca-Cola is like, although Pebble people are like, what's the difference between Pepsi? And I'm like, are you an idiot? It's a big difference. <laughs> this is good, though. I learned something on this one because now I'm definitely going to buy a really awesome looking poinsettia plant and repot it because that that's... You got you to repot it because like they have these like tiny, stupid, like... Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll see it when you, when you take it out of its like cheap plastic pot. It's got like a little like a very small root ball, but that'll grow in there and then you can put it in like a proper pot. Yeah, it's nice. going to be nice. Yeah, it's real nice. This episode of the show is brought to you by Wix. You've heard me talk about Wix before. They allow you to create a website for your personal brand, your business, your wedding, whatever else you might think of. In our case, it was a podcast. You can find our website at brainfood.fm. Wix basically, they knew we had a YouTube channel. They found out we were doing a podcast and they fully support podcasts on their website creation platform now. So it was super easy. 
to set up. I, I really, I know nothing about, I've talked about this before, I know nothing about building websites. And with Wix, this is no problem whatsoever. It's incredibly easy, actually kind of fun. You just drag and drop bits and pieces into place. And then before you know, you've got a really nice website coming together. I'm I'm truly terrible at design. So I, I, did, I have to say, I didn't start completely from scratch. I used one of their great templates. They even bring in all the colors that you use so we put our like logo in there and it made it like red and white which are the colors we use and it it, it started looking real good real fast i made an about page i set the home page to be where you can get the episode so it, it all makes sense and it's all just like i say you just drag and drop and then you just go to different pages and you swap things out and you put things in it's really incredibly easy to use there's no heavy lifting nothing like that you don't have to know how to code anything at all Wix offers unlimited pages and top-grade hosting for free. You can upgrade to one of their premium plans for as little as just $5 a month. Just go to wix.com forward slash go forward slash brain food and you can get started. And let's crack on with the show. So last week we, we said we didn't really give much more information about today's episode other than it being the truce. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking maybe as we've reached a truce about what genre star wars is be that fantasy or science fiction which we will never reach but what is the actual truth we're talking about so for reference if you want to know what i'm talking about just listen to last week's episode we have a bit of a discussion about the genre of star wars so 1914 pope benedict the 15th asked the various governments of the world to uh to that were participating in world war one to negotiate a truce for christmas day so that to quote the guns may fall silent, at least upon the night the angel sang. Yeah, so this also... It's very, very potent. Yeah, it and also at the same time, there was an open Christmas letter by the British women's suffragists to the women of Germany and Austria, basically asking for peace as well. And in, in response, the, the German women's suffragists also respond, and they actually started exchanging letters. You know, their husbands are off trying to kill each other in there you know, trying to be like, hey, this this war is stupid. And everyone, you know, as we've we discussed in if people want to go read or listen to the um the White Feather episode where we go into a lot of the detail of what actually started World War One, not quite what the popular um idea of it is. Uh and we kind of get into this a little more. Just it just World War One, it's like a bad war and everything. Yeah. But it's so much nicer than World War Two. It's well, I don't mean like, you know, the trench warfare was yeah. horrible and stuff, but it's kind of like there's no clear horrific bad guy yeah and there's no clear like good guy it's just kind of like uh yeah this is dumb it's, why are we fighting everyone who cares exactly uh and we'll we'll get into that more in a little bit because very uh, soon uh, the soldiers definitely had that attitude about world war one um, so also, yeah. at the same time, while this was happening with the open Christmas letter, Pope Benedict XV, uh, the U.S., actually, uh, there was a resolution submitted to the Senate to basically ask the the warring countries to stop fighting for 20 days uh, leading up to Christmas and to quote it. With the hope that the cessation of hostilities at the said time may stimulate reflection upon the part of the nations at war as to the meaning and spirit of Christmas time. Yes, yeah, so... It's a good idea. Yeah. 20 days. Yeah. People could like go home and come back. And they might be like, yeah, why, why are we fighting again? Because there was a lot of propaganda on both sides trying to get the public like angry at, you know, each other. But it was just like, oh, yeah, it was just like, yeah, but at the end of the day, why? What are we doing exactly? What, what's this for? Um, so unsurprisingly, though, the leaders of the various warring nations paid uh, no attention whatsoever to these calls for <laughs> peace or a truce. 
on Christmas. And um, so the American Weekly, uh, The New Republic, noted before Christmas of 1914, If men must hate, it is perhaps just as well that they make no Christmas truce. The stench of the battle should rise above the churches where they preach goodwill to men. A few carols, a little incense, and some tinsel will heal no wounds. A truce would be so empty that it jeers at us all. Yeah, so despite the fact that the various, you know, leaders of the nations participating in the war had, war had no interest in having a truce, it turns out a sort of a weird trend had started in the officer or the in the various uh, soldiers in the trenches. So they're sitting there, you know, knee deep in their, like sometimes literally knee deep in their muddy trenches. <laughs> and they're not that... Yeah. They're not always that far away from each other. I mean, they would they're close enough where they could talk to each other, the people on the other side. Uh, if they wanted to, they could kind of shout across. And it turns out both sides, a lot of the soldiers are just like, whatever, what are we even doing here? And so they started to adopt like a live and let live type thing. And so they would even start tossing newspapers and just various items like they would barter for stuff. Like if, hey, you got some cigarettes? Sure. Like send me over the, this latest edition of the newspaper. And they would just like toss stuff back and forth. And so they became quite pally with each other. And so just to sort of go back to like, you know, they're both... Both sides are just miserable in their trenches. And so we have like this Lieutenant Sir Edward Hulse. He notes of this. It had been pouring and mud lay deep in the trenches. They were caked from head to foot. And I've never seen anything like their rifles. Not one would work. And they were just lying about the trenches getting stiff and cold. One fellow had got both feet jammed into the clay. And when told to get up by an officer, had to get on all fours. And then his hand stuck in it too. And he was caught like a fly on a flypaper. All he could do was look round and say to his pals, for God's sake, shoot me. I laughed till I cried. So both sides, they're miserable. Oh, by the way, I'm going to get flack in, in this episode because at some point I'm definitely going to mispronounce uh, Lieutenant, the American way of Lieutenant. Yeah. And this always seems to get people riled up. So yeah. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> we should we should look up. It's, it's Star Trek, man. It's too much Star Trek because they're always like, Lieutenant Paris, report to the bridge. And yeah. I'm like, Lieutenant Paris. <laughs> we should look up sometime why why do the British people say that Lieutenant? That's, I mean, I, I think we did. Did we? I don't. Or I did. I've never, I've never looked point. it up, but that's uh, you know, it seems weird based on the spelling. Like, where'd that come from? Subs. I, I think you're right. I think I'm going to go with the Americans. It clearly spells <laughs> lieutenant. Um, uh, we don't spell it differently. It's not like we spell it left. Um, I'm going to add that to the follow up. Yeah, good. Um, so, so both sides, they're miserable. They're just sitting there. They're all cold. They're covered in muck. And so, and so they started to get real, real friendly with one another, just, you know, sitting around all day, right next to each other, talking across the trenches. So we have a, a little account from Royal Engineer Andrew Todd of this. Perhaps it will surprise you to learn that the soldiers in both lines of trenches have become very pally with each other. The trenches are only 60 yards apart at one place, and every morning about breakfast time, one of the soldiers sticks a board in the air. As soon as this board goes up, all firing ceases, and men from either side draw their water and rations. All through the breakfast hour, as long as the board is up, silence reigns supreme. But whenever the board comes down, the first unlucky devil who shows even so much as a hand gets a bullet through it this just reminds me of like kids so kids funny, playing like, so... kids playing at war it's like or like a, like wayne's world where they're just like car and then they're everyone they stop you know yeah. and it's game on <laughs> it's like pause everybody yeah it's bizarre isn't but like it? a deadly game a really deadly game um 
so yeah, this this uh, th- these sort of temporary truces were like a thing, uh, and so we have like on December nineteenth, when L- Lieutenant Jeffrey Heineke states. Uh, Lieutenant Heineke says, A most extraordinary thing happened. Some Germans came out and held up their hands and began to take some in some of their wounded, and so we ourselves immediately got out of our trenches and began bringing in our wounded also. The Germans then beckoned to us, and a lot of us went over and talked to them, and they helped us bury our dead. This lasted the whole morning, and I talked to several of them, and I must say that they seemed extraordinarily fine men. It seems too ironical for words. There the night before we had been having a terrific battle and the morning after there we were smoking their cigarettes and they smoking ours as you might imagine from this the army leaders were not too happy with this development uh between their troops of like not really wanting to fight and then also just going the next step and just like hey you're a pretty nice guy let's just have a chat or whatever and so they they of course issued orders that no fraternization with the enemy whatsoever but this didn't really stop anyone from doing it. Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah. And this, it, it was sort of these small pockets of this would happen, little incidences here and there, like, you know, holding up the board on this part of the line or these little traditions that came about. And this finally brings us to Christmas Eve of 1914. So uh, beginning, it seems it began around the uh, Ypres, Belgium. I want to say Ypres, but I'm not Ypres? sure. Okay. Um, or Ypres. Yeah, so it started, it seems, with the Germans setting up Christmas trees. The Christmas tree was, of course, um, sort of origin in the Germany region. And so this, they started setting up Christmas trees, sung carols and lit candles and stuff. And this this inspired the British and French and stuff on the other side to start doing the same. And they started shouting across like, hey, happy holidays, you know, to the people they were previously trying to kill. And this just started, and then they just started to get out of their trenches. Just hop up out, two groups came, they got <laughs> went across and started just exchanging Christmas gifts, handshakes, you know, hugs, playing games, drinking, like, you know, just having a good time. They even formed prayer circles with the enemy, just, you know, having having a nice little prayer together, just, you know, both sides just coming out. Yeah. And so one British soldier, he wrote of this. Just you think that while you were eating your turkey, I was out talking and shaking hands with the very man I'd been trying to kill a few hours before. It was astounding. And then we have another good one from Bruce Baron's father noting i wouldn't have missed that unique and weird christmas day for anything i spotted a german officer some sort of lieutenant i should think and being a bit of a collector i intimated to him that i had taken a fancy to some of his buttons i bought out my wire clippers and with a few deft snips removed a couple of his buttons and put them in my pocket i then gave him two of mine in exchange the last I saw was one of my machine gunners, who was a bit of an amateur hairdresser in civil life, cutting the unnaturally long hair of a docile Bosch, a German who was patiently kneeling on the ground whilst the automatic clippers crept up the back of his neck. Is that the right pronunciation? Bosch? For, sure. Or maybe Bock, because it's... Yeah, it looks... Oh, and it's Ypres, by the way. I also like that. Oh, good. So yeah, so some, uh, even even the ones who weren't having a party with each other and you know having a good time, they they kind of make use of the time where you're not fighting to bury the dead and fortify the trenches and stuff. Um, and so, and there was actually a good quote from another soldier of this sort of like uh, fortifying the trenches part. He notes, "I honestly believe that if I had called on the Saxons for fatigue parties to help with our barbed wire, they would have come over and done so." <laughs> yeah, and wow. so this. There was just like tons and tons of letters of soldiers writing home about this. It was just a widespread thing up and down the lines. 
uh, that just that's not good for propaganda. No, it wasn't because they had these massive propaganda campaigns back home is like trying to get people to support the war. And it was like, oh, wait, you know, they're just being all friendly and stuff. And so this was generally, of course, denied by the governments on both sides. Like, no, this this didn't actually happen. Uh, but this ended finally. The, the New York Times actually published one of the first stories on it, sort of widespread, on December 31st about what had happened. And then it just sort of the floodgates opened where uh, a lot of these letters and things uh, accounts came out. And so we have uh, one across the pond there, January 1st, 1915. The South Wales Echo publishes an account stating, When the history of the war is written, one of the episodes which chroniclers will seize upon as one of its most surprising features will undoubtedly be the manner in which the foes celebrated Christmas. How they fraternized in each other's trenches, played football, rode races, held sing-songs, and scrupulously adhered to their unofficial truce will certainly go down as one of the greatest surprises of a surprising war. Mm. So yeah, the Daily Mirror then goes on and they're just talking about the, the uh, so they noted like the only real wartime hostilities that didn't need to be forced um, were going on at home basically because of these uh, propaganda ca- campaign, which they actually called the gospel of hate spread by the nation's leaders. Yeah, and so that, and then sort of uh, an excerpt from that Daily Mirror's article is a really good one, I think. It's, uh, it's written, the soldier's heart rarely has any hatred in it. He goes out to fight because that is his job. What came before, the causes of the war, and the why and wherefore, bother him little. He fights for his country and against his country's enemies. Collectively, they are to be condemned and blown to pieces. Individually, he knows they're not bad sorts. The soldier has other things to think about. Consequently, he has not time for rage, and blind furies only overwhelm him when the blood is up over fierce tussles in the heat of the thing. At other times, the childishness is apparent to him. But now, an end to the truce. The news, bad and good, begins again. 1915 darkens over. Again, we who watch have to mourn many of our finest men. The lull is finished. The absurdity and the tragedy renew themselves. God, it's so sad. It is. Well, yeah. The, and so it turns out, this actually there are isolated points along the line where the, the truce actually lasted to about New Year's Day. Um, but for most of them, it was Christmas Eve and Christmas Day was in kind of as the Christmas evening started coming, the, the fighting ensued and the the parties ended. Um, and it did not happen again the next year, or at least not in a widespread way. There was little pockets of it that happened. But so the leaders of both sides were like, let's how can we stop this? And so they planned a lot of artillery barrages and stuff for Christmas and stuff like that to stop the soldiers from even being able to stop, like to hear each other to talk. You're just like constantly uh, mm-hmm. firing back and forth. But it is noted, there was several places along the line where people noted that the soldiers weren't actually aiming for the other trench. They were aiming well beyond just to make sure no one would get killed during the Christmas time. I've heard about them shooting over the other guy's heads, yeah. right? Just like aiming too high. Yeah, exactly. So they, they were, you know, being forced to continue shooting and stuff. And so that this was something they did. Um, and also, I mean, at this point, of course, you can only watch your buddy beside you get killed so many times by the you know, person across the way before you're like, you know what? I don't care if he's a nice guy. Like, otherwise, I'm I'm gonna kill him because he just killed my buddy. Uh, so there's this sort of the, totally. the tensions, you know, rose, and so it wasn't like a thing again. But in 1914, we did have this like pretty amazing, impromptu event, uh, Christmas truce that just sort of happened despite the the commanding officers and leaders on both sides trying to not make it happen, basically. And so moving on today, 
like a lot of people haven't heard of this, but it turns out there was also an impromptu event to create a monument for this. And so in December of 1999, nine people from Britain, they traveled to Belgium and they were basically wearing these uniforms they made to, to try to make them look like the, the ones worn by the soldiers. And they sort of tried to reenact the event, including dig- digging trenches, setting up the sandbags and stuff they're like, like that. They're like your people um, who dress up and reenact the Civil War. Yeah. They have a word. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, I think they're just Civil War reenactors, but... Um, yeah, that's not the word. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is right. There's probably some actual proper term for it, but um, but yeah, exactly. And so this is what they did, and this kind of created a little news thing. And so they they also, when they were leaving, they set up just a little cross, just a little temporary wooden cross, to, and they filled in the trenches and stuff that they had done. So, um, and this is meant to be like a temporary little memorial. But then the people around actually went took it a step further. They took the wooden cross and they stained it and, you know, treated it so it would last in the weather. And then they set it in a concrete base. And so now, and they also planted flowers and stuff around. And now you can actually go there and see this little like impromptu monument to the Christmas truce of 1914. What a nice story. Yeah, it is a nice story. That is nice. <laughs> there we go. Shame about all the horrific amount of death. Yeah. And then, but yeah, and then there shortly go. thereafter, the Spanish flu wiping out like one in 20 people and, you know, <laughs> And then the, the yeah, uh, times. lethargic epidemic, what was thing, that one, yeah. yeah, that killed like a million people. When the population of the world was not 7 billion. No. It was a good time. Wow. And pol- let's not forget polio. Yeah, great time. And stuff. And all the other diseases <laughs> that we didn't have vaccinations for. Yeah, exactly. Good, good time to be alive. Um, so moving on from uh, more of a Christmas theme, I just thought it was interesting to note that so World War I saw the end of a uh, uh, sort of like a half century long British tradition, and it turns out command number 1695 of the king's regulations reads, The hair of the head will be kept short. The chin and the upper underlip will be shaved, but not the upper lip. Yes. Now, oh, they had to have a mustache. They had to, from 1816 <laughs> to 1960, or so 1860 to 1916, if you wanted to be a British soldier and you were in the army, you had to have a mustache. It was required. And what you could you actually be, your commanding officer could literally have you imprisoned if you shaved and didn't have a mustache. This was actually a thing. Why? Yeah, so the whole reason behind it, the, the impetus for it was it started by the uh, East India Company's Bombay Army. Uh, so in 1854, uh-huh. they were the first to, or I should say the first British, the French actually did this before. They had different facial hair for different groups of French army people. But uh, even then, the, the, they had the same sort of reasoning behind it, was that in these places like India at the time and various Arab countries, facial hair was like a sign of manliness. And it was like how you got like a, you had like a really awesome beard. You could, you know, more respected, more powerful. It was just kind of... Uh, that's exactly correct. <laughs> and it still stands in the present day yeah. as a beard. Although I've noticed you've grown a bit of a beard lately, uh, just, like the last few episodes. Yeah, out of l- Is that laziness. You're seeing it as a sign of power? Uh, more at a sign of laziness. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so yeah, this was kind of the impetus for it. And then it spread from this uh, East India uh, Company's Bombay Army to the rest of the, you know, all the, I should say, the British yeah. forces. So by the 1860s, it was compulsory for all armed forces. In 1916, World War I saw the end of this because, as you might imagine, if you're being gassed all the time and you have a mustache, this is not a good way to get a good seal, you know, on your uh, gas mask. So that was one of the things. And these people, they're miserable in the trenches and they're just like, whatever doesn't matter. I don't need a mustache. And so they were just kind of ignoring <laughs> the regulation because they got a better gas mask seal. It's like, was, they didn't have to, sh- you know, it was just easier. Everything was nicer. Just be like, oh no, prison. Yeah, it's like, okay, <laughs> it at least, like, yeah. and at least I don't have lice in my mustache. So, 
this was they they just started ignoring it. And so finally in 1916, it was just like, all right, regulation dropped. And then on October 6, 1916, General Sir Neville McCready. So he hated mustaches and he hated that he had to have one. And so he kind of signed the thing that got rid of the the rule and then promptly shaved his own mustache off. Wait. Oh, okay. He had to have one because of the rules. Yeah. Even a general, even the general. like general sir had to have a mustache. Yeah, even if they hated it. So it was uh, just, yeah, I just thought that's kind of funny. Like it's just you're required to have a mustache, not like a beard. Like, you, you know, you like have to have just a mustache. Also, just as a side comment, is there a more badass title than general sir? General Sir Neville McRae. I wonder, is it always in that order? Or is solid. it sometimes like Sir General? Like, why is General first? Good question. And Sir would take precedence over General, yeah, see, I would imagine. You'd think, so you'd think Sir would be like Sir General. General well, General, I think you'd just be Sir Neville, rather, because then you're a knight. Yeah. There's this an order of precedence for all of this stuff. There's probably a pretty extensive Wikipedia page about you it. You know what we're working on right it's now? Interesting. Is what in the modern times... In the modern times, if you're knighted, what do you, what does this actually yeah. get you? I mean, obviously people call you sir, you know, Sir Patrick Stewart, but like... A friend of mine's dad got knighted, and so he was sir. It was cool. What did he do? Uh, he ran a museum, or several museums oh. in the UK, big museums, and then they uh, they made him a knight. That's cool. So It's pretty cool. Yeah, so we're doing on what, what, do, what do you actually get from that in modern times? Like in the olden days, you probably got like a fiefdom or something, you know? But what, do, what did you get? What do you get now? You know, do they actually give you anything at all or is it just sort of like you know i want to follow up on that i bet they're a really cool part yeah no we're, we're working on it right now carl's working on the also i bet if you make like a reservation at a restaurant and you put in your title as sir they'll probably be like oh we'll give him a good seat yeah i'm sure yeah it comes with perks like that definitely you're just like yeah we'll see carl's working on the draft and then i'll i'll do my my thing to it and then we'll we'll see i think it's gonna be a good one though now moving on so if you go to the yes. animals in war memorial in london hyde park you will see the uh, memorial is dedicated to uh, all the animals that served, suffered, and died alongside the British, Commonwealth, and Allied forces in the wars and conflicts of the 20th century. And so, you'll, you know, people think, all right, all the animals that served and died, do people think like horses? Uh, and, horses and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no one thinks of the humble glowworm, which is listed in this animal war memorial. These glower, like, wow. yeah, you wouldn't think like, you know, all the mosquitoes that died, <laughs> you know, like, but it turns out the glowworms. So why were, why were the glowworms honored in this case? And it turns out they were quite useful in the trenches in World War One, because if you're sitting there in the trench at night and you light up a lantern or a, like a lighter, you know, that sort of thing, you just made yourself a, a target to the enemy, like the people, you know, shooting artillery on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, potentially and so they didn't like to do this but they still needed to read letters or wanted to read letters and read maps and stuff uh, at night and so how did they go about doing this and so they needed some source of light that was just like really dim but bright enough and so they would just gather up you know you gather up a few glowworms put them in a jar or whatever and then you had enough where if you held it right against the paper you could see to read or whatever and so this is exactly what they did but it wasn't enough light where anyone on the other side could see you or anything so you're just kind of invisible there so it was like a great way to do that and you, if you put like dozens of these glowworms in there you could actually see pretty well and so this was just a thing they did and this was quite common just kind of the way way they did things so that you know got the glowworm honored in this little memorial um that's pretty cool yeah, it's kind of interesting and then also i thought this was interesting just uh, completely nothing to do with the war but so miners in britain apparently it used to be obviously when you're a miner in a really closed 
place where there's not a lot of air and stuff, they didn't like to use flames if they could help it. So they they instead, uh, one thing they did, there's a certain type of fish that kind of have an iridescent, you know, glow, like this bioluminescence. Yeah. And so they would just take tons of these like fish, dead, dead, and take their skin and just pile it up as light sources in the mines. And I just thought... <laughs> Can you imagine these? That's gonna smell before like yeah. deodorant, and you got these sweaty guys working all day in the mines, and then you have dead fish skin piles everywhere. In think of this is the whole reason they don't want to use flame is because it's really stagnant air and not a lot of air, and so it's just like, oh, how smelly. That's not nice. No, yeah, not good. It's like, what do you do? I, I'm a miner who stinks like a fisherman. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, it's kind of interesting. Charming, lovely way to end. End that section. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, should we do some feedback and discussion? We should. As as mentioned in several previous episodes, do you have do you have it do you have it with you? Do you have spam with you today? I do have some spam, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> We're finally doing it. Uh, uh, it was the reference. What? Well, when did we talk about this before? Tech, tech um, history. It was so many episodes ago. Part now. three, I think, or part two. I think it was part Which three. Part three. Sorry, could be part one. I don't know. One of the tech histories where we talked about the origins of spam david and i got into a conversation about spam the the fake well i'm looking at it right now the chopped pork and ham product what's the difference between pork and ham isn't ham made from pork huh maybe just the way it's cured gives it a different name or something does, that, does it say it on yours as well ingredients pork with ham yes pork with ham does your say that's yeah. weird mine says chopped pork and ham it says pork with ham it must just be the way it's cured or something. Like, it must be a distinction. Is yours made with a minimum of 90% meat? <laughs> Probably not. I bet that's like a, that sounds like a European regulation to make it more healthy. Like, whereas America, they'd just be like, nope, just whatever. Uh, and no, mine is not is made with 90% meat. Oh, no. What is it made with? No, it just doesn't say that. So I'm sure yours is going to taste better than mine. Where's yours made? I'm assuming the States, right? Yeah classic it says mine's made in denmark mine is mine is classic spam mine is uh i don't know it doesn't actually say so these are actually going to be quite different products i love the back of it it's like just add spam to break the monotony a tasty twist the monotony of what delicious regular food <laughs> toss it into mac and cheese Ugh, ruin the good thing uh, mm. also i was thinking about the pricing of this i paid about four bucks for my tin of spam. I don't know how much you paid. Uh, I don't remember. For 200 grams. How big is yours? 200 grams? Um, like, or is yours American size? Serving size. Uh, so 56 times 6. So no, I got more than you. So awesome. Oh, wow. You got like 350 grams. Yeah. 300 and That's got to be because your can is the same size as my can. So that's got to be the, like the, I don't know, something to do with the meat or something. Like maybe mine's more water. Like has a lot more. Something. <laughs> something else i think your can's bigger than mine oh is it right. uh, we're we're on we're we've got a video chat going on. i don't know um, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna put this here i'm gonna leave it for a second because i want to end the episode with eating spam so i can go eat something else afterwards yeah I'm, I'm really assuming it's gonna be horrible it's probably not awful i mean how bad can it possibly be i'm gonna hit some reviews you want to hit some reviews yeah, do it. how are you feeling about that yeah uh okay I realize I read all the reviews last time, so I'm just going to pull someone. Hope we haven't read them before. I just switched to like Britain or something. Oh, genius. Backup option. Yeah. Britain. <laughs> oh, you know where I haven't been in a while? Britain. Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Today's reviews from the good people of Canada. Because 
I wasn't sure what reviews I've read previously, and I don't think I've ever looked at the Canadian store. Uh, I'm going to just sort from most recent. Thank you, my Canadian friend. Catch at you. The banter is great with five stars. The banter is great with a wide variety of topics. The macabre episodes don't really appeal to me, and being a male probably has something to do with that. <laughs> Apparently so. I would love to hear more about keyboard layouts since I am a proud Colmac only user. We can do more on keyboard layers. We did a lot of tech. We'll have to come back to tech in the future. Mm-hmm. Jess L16, another Canadian. Five stars. This is my favorite podcast. It's entertaining and educational. I wish there were more like it. There you go. I'm going to do one more by Cashew. Bless you. Wow, someone fit a joke into their username. I appreciate that. I also appreciate your five star review. The title of the review. This person really makes the most of titles and usernames. The title of the review is I'm with Simon. Pink Floyd's The Wall is an embarrassingly long musical fart. Thank you, Cashew. Bless you. I agree. Agree to disagree. Ah, uh, right. oh, dude, it's so bad. It's. I told you I listened to it again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's still bad. <laughs> but I, I know I'm in the minority. Everyone likes this. Uh, anyway, they write. I love top tens to their found out and biographics. Those are other channels I run, by the way. If you're unfamiliar with them, YouTube them. Uh. And now I'm also a fan of the Brain Food Podcast. You guys are taking over my life, but I'm definitely not complaining. So sorry, I have no criticism to other to offer, constructive or otherwise. Although I would like to ask, what's going on with the Highlight History channel? Should we update? It's uh, coming. It's a new channel we're launching. It's coming. I think that's uh, coming. It's uh, where we'll leave it. For it's now. a busy time of year, so I keep trying to get to it and then not. Basically, what that comes down to. But we are we are doing some special stuff here coming up with it. So, you know, if nothing else, we'll put up a bunch of videos that we've done and then, um, you know, go from there. I'm excited to get it off the Me ground. Me too. I think it's going to grow. I think it's going to grow pretty quick once we actually put the videos up. It's already growing quick and we don't even have any videos up. So True. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, that's, that's, oh, man. I cracked it open. It kind of leaked out the top. Oh, it looks, it looks like cat food. It even smells like cat food. It does smell a bit like cat food, doesn't it? It smells exactly like cat oh. food. <laughs> I don't have a cat. I had a cat when I was a kid. I'm going to feed okay. this to my cats after. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does not come across on the fork nicely. Okay. God, it does smell weird, doesn't it? Just going to have some bread. <laughs> it's, it's not good. But it's not, I would, I mean, I'd never choose to eat this, but it's not like offensively bad. No, and we were supposed to, I'm going to have another, uh, a few users said we should fry it first, apparently, but it just tastes like really fatty ham. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't like how there's no texture to it or like, it's no, kind of a weird like a mush. rather than the text. <laughs> yeah. And it, it doesn't have the texture of, you know, meat. And the smell of cat food is sort of a, a big turnoff as well. No, not good. You poor, not good. Poor British people post World War II having to eat this. Yeah, it's true. That wasn't a good time. <laughs> yeah. They can It does say on the back of mine. You can grill it, bake it, microwave it, or eat it cold. 
And also, there's a picture of how to fry it. Oh, microwave it. That would be so gross. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, that sounds pretty this bad. This French bread I have here is, is fixing it. So you should have you should have brought some of that. Yeah, I, I'm in my office. I don't have a great supply of food in my office. Um, yeah, no. no yeah. I, I'm, I'm probably... I also didn't eat breakfast this morning. It's like 11 <laughs> o'clock. So I'm like, mm, I'm pretty hungry. But it's Literally, not like... I'm not, not, not joking. I have opened this can. And now I have my two cats and my dog are both sitting there staring at me and the can. Do you think it's the sound? They, or the, pro- uh, the probably smell? the sound, but also my dog is sniffing around. Uh, so yeah, it smells exactly like pet food. It does. Next week. Do we know the subject for next week yet? I'm so ready to leave spam by. <laughs> we have, uh, it will be, yes, I'll say yes, we do. Uh, and what is the deal? With the 12, 12 days of Christmas, because there isn't there <gasps> isn't twelve days of Christmas, so a legitimate Christmas episode. Yeah, this one's a legitimate one, and we're also going to cover a bunch of other um, Christmas music related things, origins, and there's actually quite a lot of interesting things. But the twelve days one is the I think the, the most interesting of them is just uh, yeah, because what what nobody has twelve days of Christmas. What's that about? I like it. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. I suppose. I'll talk to you then. I hope your cats and your dogs. You got like a menagerie of animals. They are literally. I mean, I don't know um, if the mic picked that up, but the the cats are attacking the dog because they're both so close to the spam, <laughs> and they all want it. <laughs> I'm gonna feed it to them <laughs> shortly. I don't know if you can hear the hissing and the the clawing. <laughs> no, I I can't. These mics are very yeah, isolated. Just pick up your mouth. Yeah. yeah, which is great for the. It's like ASMR. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Spam easy. <laughs> All right, man. I will uh, I will talk to you next week. Then. All right. Bye. The monotony of what? Delicious regular food? <laughs>